Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. WGN, John Williams here. I've just been thinking about the Olympics last year and how you saw Putin at the Games, right? And you had the suspicion that the war was going to start after the Games, but they wanted the Russians to compete. They wanted to get in and do that event, and then they got out, and then they were going to invade Ukraine, and like clockwork, they did. Joseph Lindsley is a regular guest on our Bob Surratt show. Every morning at 7.15, he gives you a first-person narrative of what it's like in the war-torn cities. He travels around the country. He's an American it's fascinating conversation, and I spoke to him briefly in that first week, and I remember when Lindsley said to me on the air that day, he said, well, I'm getting reports that the Ukrainians are fighting back, that we are pushing back on these tanks. I didn't know who this guy was, and frankly, I didn't believe him. I thought, there's no way you guys can resist the might and the armaments of Russia. And lo and behold, he was telling the truth. He's been a truthful reporter ever since, but... I sure do remember that moment and thinking how daunting the task would be. And now here we are a year later with international involvement, principally provided by America, and it looks like Ukraine is holding its own. Joel, I hate to score this or talk about it like a basketball game, but the underdogs are fighting and fighting well, aren't they? They are. Uh, still remain underdogs for all the reasons to set, John, and, and thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. Yeah, who a year ago, I, regardless of what Joseph said, and I don't think he was saying those things on February 24th, uh, there's no way anyone expected that we would be here today, a year later, having a conversation like this in these circumstances. Um, a few weeks in, by mid-March, for sure, uh, uh, I know I was saying, you know, this is going to be a long, long, drawn-out and, and sad affair, and, and that has indeed played out. Um, is it a yeah. testament to how poorly the Russians planned, or in fact how inept their military was, or does it say something about Ukraine, and for that matter, the United States? First and foremost, uh, it, it's a testimony to uh, uh, the poor intelligence uh, received or, or processed by President Putin, um, mass corruption in Russia's military uh, and economic um, system uh, that, that siphoned off money and materials that were supposed to go to modernizing uh, their weaponry, uh, which never happened, which proved certainly to be a shock. Uh, to those at the very top in the Kremlin, um, and, but also uh, repeats errors made in Afghanistan and Chechnya in ways that are simply confounding uh, how the Russian military could not have um, revised its its tactics, its strategies, uh, is, is, is really baffling to anyone who studies the Russian military. It doesn't make much sense. But then certainly, even with all of that, there is no way that Ukraine is able to uh, hold its own and, and regain as much of its territory as it has without the 
uh, incredible efforts, Herculean efforts in the Biden administration of the United States, our NATO allies and a broader coalition uh, that has been steadfast in supporting Ukraine and that coalition only seems to be growing. Dr. Joel Ostro is a professor of comparative and international politics at Benedictine University. It, I would be embarrassed if I were a Russian citizen who was informed about what was going on in the war to know that we've handed over much of the military operation to a private contractor and that they're letting people out of jail to do the fighting. Some of that's uh, happening to a lesser extent now than was a little while ago, but it's still just a, a remarkable thing for a world military power to a year in having to resort to that. I mean, that's just, that is the strangest thing to me. And it is unclear what the degree of coordination was or is. Uh, Prigozhin seems to be uh, increasingly uh, charting his own course uh, and, and with not particularly hopeful prospects for him. Uh, on the prisoner issue, uh, what has happened is that the Wagner Group and Prigozhin have been uh, cut off from access uh, to that source of, uh, I don't even want to call them soldiers, cannon fodder. Uh, this next wave of conscripts is going to include uh, prisoners of, of various sorts who will be going to the Russian army rather than to the mercenary group uh, by, by a few reports that I trust. But still, but uh, still conscripting uh, ammunition. Uh, Prigozhin has been complaining about lack of ammunition. Uh, that is also. It, it seems like the, the Russian army is fighting back against that uh, rise of of Prigozhin and probably under Putin's own uh, direct orders uh, for for uh, shifting that balance, if you will. Still, just imagine uh, the president's. <laughs> Going to Joe Biden going to Cook County's lockup or to Stateville yeah. or to Pontiac and saying, hey, everybody, I got a deal for you. Like we're fighting this war because it's important to us. It's about it's about freedom for our fellow men in another country. We've got to liberate them. Uh, so we're going to let you out of jail to do the work. I mean, that's just so bizarre. Joel Ostro is right here on WGN Radio, the professor of comparative and international politics at Benedictine University. We've gone to him many times. He's studied and written about Russia for years, and now it's front and center. Um, what's the China play now? What's happening on that front, Joel? It's really interesting, John. Uh, China's in a very, very familiar role. Uh, all during the Cold War, China was never closely allied with the Soviet Union uh, and tried to play, if you will, both sides of that Cold War divide. Um, certainly in the last couple decades of the Cold War to great effect. Um, and the similar situation today, um, China has interests in uh, Russia, that is for sure, uh, political, economic, and military. Uh, but China also really cannot do without the United States and European economies, uh, from which, uh, dating to the Trump administration, uh, and, and continuing in the Biden administration uh, has been frustrated uh, by being more and more isolated uh, and having that relationship be, be much more difficult. Um, China's skilled at negotiating. Uh, I do not foresee them uh, rearming Russia or playing a major role, uh, but they may try to skirt sanctions by providing components that would allow Russia to be able to uh, build more munitions. Uh, 
but they're going to be very careful because their their overriding interest is um, um, reestablishing its uh, strong trade connections to the Western economies, U.S. and Europe in particular, um, which it needs to to turn its own economic situation around. I do not foresee China um, casting its future with with Russia, Iran, and North Korea. It just it just it's be, that would just be beyond. It wouldn't make any sense given President Xi's uh, overriding and, and very consistent strategy since since rising to power. Well, I hope you're right. My understanding is they are going to get together. And the fact that the Russians have been able to survive this war of attrition that the West is putting Mm -hmm. on them is in part because they continue to do business with China. So China is still making purchases and selling things from Russia, which doesn't help anybody. And I worry that for some reason the two of them might while they're not friends, have a common enemy in the United States. I, I hope there's no alliance forming there. I, I do not foresee an alliance forming there, not not of that sort. And and let's not heap all the criticism on, on China. Sanctions uh, throughout history, whether applied against Iraq or South Africa or Iran, uh, there are always those who uh, seek and find, have interest in or, or identify an interest in finding a way around those sanctions and cheating them. Uh, uh, China throughout history has done that, um, but Turkey is still trading with Russia while also supporting Ukraine, um, uh, and many other states are as well. Indeed, Western Europe is still purchasing petroleum from Russia uh, and other supplies. But countries around the world are doing business with Russia, and, and uh, it has always been uh, one of the the difficulties of, of economic sanctions. Hmm. All that said, these sanctions have been very successful comparatively. We have to compare it to other sanctions throughout history. Uh, the ability to hold them together and continue to ratchet them up has been great. Uh, my frustration has been that we have not uh, gone far enough in seizing the assets of the wealthiest uh, Russian individuals and corporations. Part of that problem is Switzerland. Uh, they just never, uh, they never, they never go along uh, with these. And, and if the if Switzerland could uh, change its rules on that uh, and allow for more freezing and seizure of assets of the top Russian oligarchs, um, I think the economic situation uh, and the pressures would be different. But but that's not the world we live in. We we, yeah. we have to function in the world we live in, and, and sanctions are, are only one component. And uh, uh, but but we should still remain impressed, as impressed as ever, with the unity of that coalition supporting Ukraine and the resolve that that appears to hold. Uh, Just one last thing, Joel. Let's just talk about the prospects for peace. China appears to be trying to broker a deal, but when I read a little bit about it, it didn't seem to me like they said what needs to happen about the previously seized parts of Ukraine, Crimea, etc. So does this war get fought to a conclusion and the Russians get pushed out of the place that they've recently invaded, or does it go back to the, the previous three parts of Ukraine that Ukraine also wants to reclaim? And if that's the case, doesn't this thing just drag on forever? It's going to go on for a long time, John. Uh, China wants to be a broker, uh, Indonesia has expressed a desire and an interest uh, in being a broker. Uh, many other states do. The problem is, is that uh, Russia is ultimately the one responsible as the invading uh, country. 
uh, and they are showing no realistic interest in uh, in resolving this. Uh, a part of the reason is the resolution would, would certainly have them uh, withdrawing from much, if not all, of the territory of, of Donetsk, and and really, um, uh, it's hard to see now Ukraine giving up on its desire to have Russia's uh, presence in Crimea eliminated as well. Uh, that might have not been an initial objective of Ukraine's, but certainly given the successes in battle, um, uh, they never officially accepted Russia's dominance or control over Crimea, and, and they want to reverse that because uh, because it is quite obvious the threat that that, that would oppose going forward. It, it was a threat since Russia occupied it in 2014, both of those regions. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So which, 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 Ukrainian which, territory should be Ukrainian territory. Um, Which makes one think that this is going to go on for a very long time. So one minute left, Joel. Just um, Mm -hmm. what does this say then about Vladimir Putin? Um, He is uh, the most criminal leader of our time. Uh, He is prosecuting a war of genocide. And and I do, I teach course on genocide. I, I don't publish on it, but I, uh, and wide read and, and, and teach course on it. Uh, this war is uh, because Russia and Putin uh, not only deny the existence of Ukraine, they reject the existence of Ukrainian as a people. Uh, and this effort is about eliminating the Ukrainian people as such, people, culture, language, all of it. Uh, Putin and Russia reject that such a thing even exists. Uh, and that is uh, really the most extreme, falls under the most extreme definition of genocide as outlined in the Genocide Convention, of which, by the way, Russia is, is a signatory and a party, uh, but clearly violating it. Um, this is a horrible, horrible battle, and it's the only way to understand Russia's strategy and tactics of attacking civilians and, and really anything is a legitimate target from Russia's yeah. perspective because yeah. they don't really see them as legitimate in the first place. Yeah, it's going to go on a long time. I'm recollecting, I saw again today, the picture early in the war, remember, of the woman who was being removed from a hospital, yeah. pregnant. She and the yeah. baby did not make it. And that was the right. sort of shocking indifference that we saw early in the war. Dr. Joel Ostro is a professor of comparative and international politics at Benedictine University. Not the last conversation we'll have, Joel, but thank you for your time today. And thank you for yours, John. Be well.